Hello, and welcome to Stern Chats. I'm Daniel Yellen. And I'm Kathleen Dillon. And today on the show, we were joined by Caroline O'Connor. Caroline is the current COO of the Miami Marlins MLB team. She's had a really incredible career. She started out at IBM before enrolling in Stern's part-time MBA program and eventually building quite an impressive career for herself in investment banking, first at UBS and then at Morgan Stanley before eventually moving into her role with the Marlins. And Caroline has what many of us might consider a dream job, and we had a chance to talk with her about the incredible things that the Marlins are doing in the Miami community and especially focusing on what they have done during this past year during COVID. And it was really just an awesome, inspiring conversation. Totally agree. I loved having this opportunity to chat with Caroline and I'm leaving feeling incredibly inspired by all that she's accomplished. So let's go. From New York University Stern Campus, this is Stern Chats, the podcast that tells the hidden stories between the lines of someone's resume. In the interest of serving the Stern community, building relationships, and unlocking important life lessons, we present these stories to a wider audience. We are here with Caroline O'Connor, the COO of the Miami Marlins. Caroline, welcome to Stern Chats. Thank you for having me, Daniel. So we're going to spend a lot of time talking about baseball and talking about your current role, but I'd love to know, what was the role of sports in your life growing up? Um, you know, it, it was big. It was a big part of everyday life uh, in my household. Uh, and personally, I always loved participating in sports. Uh, one interesting fact about me is I have seven siblings. Uh, so we pretty much have a, a team for anything. So there's always something uh, going on in the backyard or in the driveway. Um, so a lot of fun and a big part of growing up. So, you know, participated in a lot of recreation leagues, uh, and then on the school teams, when I got a little older, uh, and every season I was participating in something, uh, softball, basketball, tennis, I, you know, really liked it all. Um, always willing to try anything. Uh, and, you know, as a family, we had a lot of special times attending and, uh, sporting events and also playing sports, uh, you know, rooting for my different siblings, uh, rooting for our local teams, um, so a lot of great family memories for me, uh, you know, revolve around sports. And what were those local teams? Uh, so I grew up in uh, central New Jersey. So whether it was just, you know, uh, our local uh, high school teams uh, or, you know, some of our New York and New Jersey teams, I certainly, you know, grew up in that uh, typical rivalries there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure those are... Uh... Those are good sports towns to grow up in. Yeah, it's it's a big part, uh, you know, of, of uh, I think growing up in particularly in the Northeast, some of those really intense rivalries, and um, you know, it's it's a it's a great thing, and to see people passionate about their local teams is is great, regardless of who the team is. And on that note, you ended up in school at Rutgers University, a school known for being a big sports school. You studied computer information systems and eventually ended up in a role at IBM. And after spending several years at IBM, um, eventually pursued your MBA. What was it that kind of drove you to think about the MBA as a potential right career path for you? Hi, Kathleen. Thank you for hosting me, too. And thanks for reaching out. I was so excited to you know, get the invite to be on the podcast. 
Um, yeah, so I went to Rutgers University for my undergrad, uh, and I studied uh, computer science. So I always loved computers. Um, you know, my, my father worked in computer engineering, uh, and he'd always have a setup in his office that uh, no one could really touch. So, you know, maybe that's what intrigued me, kind of what, what we weren't allowed to really play with uh, as kids. Um, and I'll, I'll age myself here, but, you know, keyboarding was probably the most advanced computer course that I took prior <laughs> to college. Um, you know, I for, received my first email account in college um, and kind of took it from there and, you know, kind of fell in love with it. So, um, yeah, I was lucky to go uh, to a joint program between Rutgers and the New Jersey Institute of Technology. So got kind of the best of both worlds there and really had a, a great experience uh, and I was really fortunate to come out of school uh, in the computer science industry when the industry was, you know, really booming. Um, I took advantage of on-campus recruiting um, and, uh, you know, was offered what I would say was probably my dream job at the time, which was to go work for, you know, IBM, uh, which, you know, in, in 2000 was one of the biggest names, uh, you know, in computing and services and, and still is. So, uh I was lucky to be in their services practice where, you know, you got the technology side, but also got to interface with clients and uh, got to see a number of different businesses. So we would, you know, travel and go client to client and uh, help them transform their businesses. At the time, a lot of uh, businesses were having their first, um, you know, web uh, presence. And so not only were they getting their brand out there, but they were taking a lot of their processes and putting them online, uh, interacting with their clients in a new way. So it was a really fun time to be part of it because, you know, you had to both um, figure out the flow and the activities of the client and really understand the business and how they wanted to service their client and then go back and you know figure out how to uh, fulfill those needs with technology so it was a really great role and it gave me the ability to see um, you know the business side and the technology side uh, which was um, you know really fun for me uh, being in a consulting practice it gave me a lot of exposure to senior management so often we were working with the management of the organization presenting to them um, and that kind of gave me you know, the thought that I'd like to be on that side of the table one day and setting those strategies, um, but was really fortunate to get that kind of uh, exposure. And uh, I think that's where I kind of self-assessed and said, you know, what do I need to do to get to the other side of the table? And for me personally, uh, I felt, you know, building on some of my business skills, finance skills would, you know, be great tools for me to have to someday, you know, sit in that leadership chair. And so I guess that makes a lot of sense then for thinking about business school as kind of that next step to get you to that level that you wanted to get to. Uh, how did you decide that Stern would be the place that you wanted to get your MBA? Well, um, I'd say, you know, it started off with the decision that I wanted to go uh, part-time um, and just knowing, you know, full-time or part-time, you know, NYU is one of the biggest names uh, in the metro area, you know, and beyond that. So Stern was certainly on my radar. Um, and for me personally, you know, I was enjoying my role. I you know, wanted to bring some new tools and skills to it. But, you know, I saw myself continuing to work. Um, you know, as I got those additional learnings and brought them into, uh, you know, my job every day and hopefully use them to rise within the organization I was already at. Um, and so, you know, looking at Stern's program and just the fact that 
uh, a school with such a prestigious full-time program has a part-time program. Uh, you know, I really made that my top choice and, um, you know, did uh, what I needed to do to, you know, take the GMAT and uh, work really hard to get accepted. So I was uh, really proud to be accepted to Stern and to, you know, start my MBA there. And during your MBA experience, you ended up switching roles from IBM to a role with UBS. Do you think once you started the MBA experience, did you start having different thoughts about what the career ahead looked like for you? I'd say it definitely expanded, you know, my outlook on things. Um, and, you know, in the role that I had at IBM, I covered a number of clients in the financial services industry. And a lot of my classmates were in the financial services industry. A lot of our case studies were about the financial services industry. So, you know, definitely piqued my interest of getting more involved there. Um, one of the big drivers for me was, you know, all the great things about consulting and going client to client. Uh, when I started school, so I started in the Red Core group, uh, which I don't know if you still have a Red Core group, but it was Saturdays. Uh, and I actually loved it because we would have uh, a morning class uh, and then we'd have a break in the middle in the afternoon class. And because everybody was kind of on the same schedule, you really got to know your core group classmates well. So, you know, many's a uh, uh, lunch in Washington Square Park or, you know, a, a gathering uh, after class at four o'clock. Um, I really love the red core group. Uh, but that combined with my travel schedule was kind of leaving me, you know, a half a day a week to repack my suitcase and go out again. And I really wanted to take advantage of the full Stern experience. And a lot of those events, uh, speakers and symposiums were going on on weekdays. Uh, so I really wanted to find not just a financial services uh, company, but you know, a role that would kind of keep me uh, in the tri-state area uh, Monday through Friday. And that gave me the opportunity to, you know, take some weekday courses, meet more people, go to more of the events on campus. Uh, and that's where I, where I switched to uh, UBS, but a great, uh, great company and a great transition. Um, again, some uh, people that I'd work with uh, as clients uh, at IBM, uh, you know, had, had brought me over there. And so, yeah, it was, it was a great experience and a great place to apply a lot of learnings that I was getting in the classroom to my everyday. And so I was wondering what it was like for you making the transition to a new job while also dealing with the hectic life that is business school. What was that like going through those two kind of big transformations at the same time? Yeah, it's definitely tough. Uh, you know, I think what you have to do is uh, be open with uh, certainly at work with your, your managers and let them know what you're doing, because I think it's an inflection point. But on the long term, it's so beneficial for the company. And I think it shows you know your drive and your goals to you know improve your knowledge and bring more to your job every day. So I think you're usually going to find a patient manager in those kind of situations. Um, and then on yourself, you know, you have to have your support system in place as well, uh, because it does require a lot of studying. For me, I took a lot of finance classes and I hadn't taken those as an undergrad. So it was a lot of new learning. And I really did have to dedicate that time to study, you know, go to a quiet place, go to the library. Uh, so it was about me getting my study skills right. Uh, and then, you know, every minute of every day, you try to make it useful, you know, on the subway, uh, you know, you're reading notes sheets and, you know, just trying to pack as much into a day as possible. I'm always so impressed by the Langone students because we get the luxury of, you know, being on student time and just only focusing on one thing. 
But to do this on top of also needing to perform well at a job is just something that I'm always incredibly impressed with the Langone students. Um, yeah, I think both directions. I think, you know, the full-timers, uh, you know, ha have more involvement in other parts of, I think, campus life and student government, things like that. So I think there's a lot of demands on your time that way. Um, but what I always liked about, you know, the Langone program and, uh, you know, being uh, at a, a job site every day is you have kind of a built-in set of mentors there and, you know, what you're working on. Uh, and you can always, you know, go to people with questions and, you know, I always find that people want to help and, uh, you know, people love to hear about what you're doing in your MBA coursework and you know, you're bringing new perspectives in also what you learn in case studies or in textbooks. I think that's an interesting thing to bring into the workplace. And after spending several years at UBS, you ultimately ended up at Morgan Stanley. And of course, in our own MBA program, there's quite a cohort of students that are hoping to go into investment banking after graduating. Are there any piece of, pieces of advice you would offer to young MBA students that are hoping to make a career in investment banking after school? What I would say is that at the end of the day, investment banking is a very small industry. Uh, you know, there's high stakes and high expectations. So I think the impression you make, the work ethic you show, the desire to learn, these are all, you know, the attributes that people notice and that come to mind when a new opportunity comes up. Uh, you often see large teams move together. Uh, and I think that's based on the bonds that were built and the experience that were had together. You know, it's a tough business. And, you know, when uh, pressure is up and, you know, there are short timelines on deliverables, you want to know the team that you're with and how you can work with them. And you know, when there's uh, trust and good working relationships, I think that goes a far, a far way. Uh, so I say relationships matter. Uh, and so does, you know, the, the skills you show, the outlook you show uh, and the teamwork that you show. Um, and I think, you know, the industry is going to change frequently. There's, you know, competition every day that's changing things. There's regulation. So I think you have to, you know, be willing to, put in the work and build the foundational knowledge, um, but you need to be prepared to be a lifelong learner. And that's where I think, you know, MBA students have gone back and shown their aptitude to learn again. Uh, and I think, you know, often MBA students do have that kind of lifetime learner mentality. And I think that's a great thing uh, to take you into the future of however the finance industry is going to shift. Um, you know, there's such a thriving ecosystem in finance. Uh, there are so many options beyond just the traditional investment banks. You know, there's PE firms and, um, you know, venture capital shops. So there are so many different opportunities in finance um, that I think, you know, the foundational knowledge that you get as part of an MBA program at Stern really gives you a great platform to decide what direction you want to go. I think so much of that process of continuous learning has to do with finding a mentor and finding someone who can provide feedback to you throughout that period of growth in that early stage of your career. What was your relationship like with mentors or how did you go about finding them and how did you utilize them as you were moving up in your career? I at times had heard, you know, find the job that you really want and, you know, figure out what it takes to get that job. So I often you know, kind of evolved to going to my manager as my mentor. And, you know, you spend so much time with your manager and 
I've been really fortunate in finding managers that were willing to really invest in me, invest the time and really invest in my growth. Uh, so a lot of my mentor relationships have been with my direct manager. When I look at that group, you know, working in a cu- couple different roles across a couple different firms is, you know, as mentors and as individuals, how different each of them were. Um, but all of them were great leaders and extremely successful. So when I take a step back and say, you know, what are the skills and the characteristics of, um, you know, a really successful professional, what I learn is that it's a different, it's not always the same and you need to adapt as a leader. You need to be the right leader for the task at hand and for the role and for the organization. So, when I look at, you know, mentors and leadership skills, I try to take away from it, um, you know, the, the generalities and the things that you can apply wherever you land. We have to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with Caroline O'Connor. Stern Chats is brought to you by Stern Network, an online networking and mentorship platform that makes it easy for Stern students and alumni to connect. Since its launch last spring, Thousands of alumni and students have joined the platform, which offers ways to share career insights, connect with others by industry or job function, and join alumni groups based on region, industry, and interests. Stern Network now includes a recently launched business directory, where alumni and student entrepreneurs can list their businesses. In addition to Stern Network, alumni and students can also access the wider NYU Violet Network, to connect with all NYU students and alumni. Join Stern Network today at stern.nyu.edu forward slash Stern Network. Caroline, your current role is as COO of the Miami Marlins. A lot of people from the outside will look at that and say, that's a pretty strong left pivot after your career in investment banking. Although I'm sure you took a lot of the lessons you've learned in your past roles and are using them in your current role. Can you talk about how the position with the Marlins came about? Yeah, I mean, I like to think it's the culmination of hard work, but I think some luck played into it too, because everything comes down to, you know, timing and your willingness to consider opportunities. Uh, You know, personally, I've been, I think a heads down worker is how I would describe myself, but I've always been really fortunate that I feel my efforts have been noticed and recognized across the firms I've worked at, you know, for the people that I've worked with and for. So I've been really fortunate in that aspect. And, uh, you know, as luck would have it, uh, some of the Marlins ownership group being in the banking space, there was some overlap, um, you know, with people that I knew. And when they started creating a short list of candidates to interview for some of the key transition roles, my name was on that list. Um, so, you know, the opportunity definitely required some thought, uh, at the time I was a managing director at Morgan Stanley and the firm was a great place to work. Uh, it had been very good to me personally, and I was proud, uh, you know, and pleased to have a significant role there. Um, my family was living on the Upper West Side, and we had carved out, you know, a life there. Um, so it's uprooting a family and two small children. Um, but, you know, we took a te- step back and looked at the overall opportunity, uh, and thought it was, I thought it was an opportunity to have a huge impact uh, and, and to learn a lot and uh, to challenge myself to be successful in a new industry. Um, so, you know, we decided to accept the interview uh, and move forward with the process. 
What was the job interview like? Was it pretty intense? Was it more conversational? How did that play out? So there was a series of interviews, uh, starting with the person who would become my immediate manager, and that's our chief executive officer, uh, Derek Jeter. So, you know, I had not interviewed in six years at that point. Uh, so to get back to interviewing and to have an icon on the other side of the table uh, <laughs> was, uh, you know, a test of working under pressure, to say the least. Um, but I guess I did okay because uh, then I moved on uh, to meet our principal owner uh, and then a few of our board meetings. So, you know, I have to say I was uh, inspired to work with the group. The combined knowledge you know, of the group that I spoke to was very impressive. Um, their inclusiveness and inquisitiveness, as well as their passion for what would be done here in Miami. Uh, it's my sign that, you know, I could possibly have the opportunity to be part of something really special. Uh, and something that was very unique and likely would not come my way again. So I was absolutely honored uh, to ultimately be selected for the role. And I spent every day since then trying to do my best to live up to not so much the expectations of the group, but the faith that they put in me and this organization and our community. So, you know, that still inspires me every day. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you can get up every morning excited to go to work, uh, I think that's a great thing. And so while you started off in the chief of staff role, this is now the second time in your career that you've held a COO title. So I was wondering, how does the COO at the Marlins differ from your role as a COO at Morgan Stanley? It's different for a number of reasons. Uh, so first, you know, one of the biggest is that, you know, at Morgan Stanley, I was the COO of a division, uh, which in itself was much larger from a headcount and a budget perspective uh, than, you know, the organization where I am today. Um, but, you know, you also plugged into a larger ecosystem uh, that you have at a big firm. And I think coming from so many big firms, you just, you know, assume that that infrastructure is there, be it, you know, the, the payroll department or the benefits department, uh, and, and here I'm the COO of the entire organization. So, you know, it's not just me approving things and there's a big corporate center in the background that takes care of it. Uh, we are the corporate center. So the mechanics and the logistics of every business transition transaction or activity uh, sits with us. So um, it's really very hands-on. I've been exposed to really the end-to-end -end, uh, life cycle of you know, a business transaction and the way companies are run, which has been really great for me. Um, a lot of hands-on learning and knowledge and, you know, in coming in, we really wanted to understand the business. Uh, we did want to apply some, you know, principles and standards that we think help from, a, um, you know, reporting and governance perspective. So we really did want to look at everything and see how it's being done. So it's been a lot of learning and it's been really interesting. But, you know, I think now I can say I know, you know, the mechanics of, of running a company um, versus um, being part of a division where you really do have a great support system uh, at a big company. Um, but, you know, been very proud of uh, you know, our ability here to, you know, end to end, um, you know, run business processes. And so for an organization like the Marlins, what are like what are the measures and metrics that you use as the COO to determine success? 
there are so many different ways to define success. Uh, and being being here, you know, three what have felt like three really quick years. Uh, we like to look at the progress we've made, um, and you know, looking back, the progress has been substantial. Um, we've continued to connect with our community. Um, we're out in the schools. We're partnering with local organizations. Uh, we spent the past year responding uh, to the needs that were created by COVID. Um, and so that's a big part of how we measure our progress, uh, how the community sees us and how well we know our community. Um, we also, you know, listen to our fans when we got here and what they wanted to see in the experience, uh, how they wanted to experience a Marlins game. We've made enhancements to our fan experience that, you know, reflect what we heard in those sessions and also reflect, you know, the vibrant culture of South Florida. So, you know, that's certainly progress that we're proud of as far as our game day experience. Um, most externally visible, our team made it to the postseason last year. Congratulations. Which, uh, Thank you. It was the first time in 17 years that the organization had been uh, to the postseason. So that's something we're certainly uh, proud of. Um, so when we look, you know, kind of across the board, we see all aspects of the organization moving forward and making progress. Uh, and that's what we like to see every day, progress. You mentioned the Miami community and um, it's a very diverse community and that is reflected amongst the Marlins leadership team as well with a person of color and Derek Jeter as a CEO, Kim Eng being named as the first female general manager in the, this past offseason and also a person of color and you as a COO uh, as a female. How do you think about creating a organization that is diverse, inclusive, um, and, and how is that reflected in the Marlins hiring practices and organizational culture? I would like to say that, you know, it's innate in what we do. Um, you know, we look around the leadership table, we do notice that we're diverse, um, you know, but we look at it and say, you know, our philosophy is picking the right person with the right skills for the role, regardless of, you know, what kind of package that comes in. So, um, you know, that, that's what we think when we look at the leadership team, but, you know, obviously we know the responsibility is on us to make sure that, you know, that diversity and that opportunity trickles down through the organization. Uh, we really want our organization to reflect our community. Uh, we think that's our best opportunity to create an experience that is going to reflect what our community wants when they come to, uh, you know, an entertainment event, a Marlins game. And so for us, you know, it's a business imperative to have a diverse staff. So, you know, we like to lead by example, obviously, you know, from the top, we're extremely proud to have the first black owner and CEO of a major league baseball team, as well as the first, you know, female general manager in U.S. professional sports. Um, you know, we believe that diverse people bring out the best in our organization. Um, we're very collaborative. We like diverse points of view. And again, we really like to reflect our community and our fan base. And I think that that's, baseball's in a really interesting position because not only is it America's pastime, but it's an important part of culture and it's an important part of our communities. And you're thinking about it as, a business and businesses have impact on local culture. They have impact on the way that a local community is 
you know, created and thinks about itself. But I think baseball probably has a different kind of impact in a way that not a whole lot of local businesses can say. And so how do you view the Marlins place within an impact on the Miami community? Yeah, it's different than, you know, any other business. So I think, you know, we think of it as a, as a collective and, you know, business is part of how we think of it, but really we consider ourselves a community asset. You know, we're here for the community. We're part of the community and we really want to be embedded in the community. And, you know, it's an honor to represent South Florida. Um, We want the community to have pride in us. And, um, you know, that's something that we focus on every single day, you know, we take it very seriously. Um, You know, we love to see families coming out and, and talk to, you know, people coming to the games or even people that, you know, we're interviewing for roles and they say, you know, the reason they're here is they have memories of their grandparent taking them to a baseball game or, you know, family memories of coming to a baseball game. And I think it's just such a, a special um, opportunity, but also just an important responsibility to know that, you know, you, you have that potential to make those memories and impacts and special events for, for families. Um, for us, we take it really seriously um, and really try to lead with, you know, our community responsibilities and, you know, creating something that our community can be proud of and get behind and root for. Can you talk a little bit more about what the Marlins role has been in the community for this past year, which has been difficult for communities all around the country? It's been a really difficult year. I think you said it well uh, with COVID. Uh, South Florida was particularly impacted, um, you know, last year, and you know, the impacts still continue. Um, really proud of our position in the organization. Uh, as soon as you know, COVID started to be real. You know, first we thought about our operations and our uh, players and our staff, uh, getting everybody to a safe place and giving them direction um, so that they could, you know, put their own safety and their family safety uh, first um, and, uh, you know, deal with that aspect of COVID. Uh, And then when we kind of had ourselves, uh, you know, under control, we looked at our community and said, how can we help our community? Uh, We're fortunate in having already built some relationships with local community organizations by doing food distributions um, a few times a year. We built food pantries at two local schools. Um, One of the challenges being, uh, you know, for our food pantries at the schools, uh, the families and the children couldn't get into the schools to access the pantries. Uh, and then just the need was greater than ever before. So we um, right away went kind of to the drawing board, got our leadership team together and said, you know, how do we, uh, you know, minimize some of this uh, impact going on in our community? And we started doing uh food distributions, so drive-through distributions where, you know, there was no contact. Um, We put the food in people's trunks and we, you know, really got the logistics down on these and we're still doing them, uh, you know, once a week here at the ballpark where, you know, local community drives through and uh, receives, you know, we work with food supplies um, with our partners at Feeding South Florida. So that was one great way that we could do it. And the challenge is there were so many different needs during COVID. One that we took, you know, um, 
specifically with some of the learning loss uh, from the school children. And then also just the lack of physical exercise with, you know, people staying indoors and also, you know, sports and recreational leagues are not operating. And so we took to our online presence to uh, create uh, activities for kids to do virtual summer camps and virtual classes. Um, we typically would go out in our neighborhood and read in the schools. And so we did virtual reading of books. Our players read books on virtual sessions. So we tried to think of all the different ways that we could help um, you know, meet as many of the needs that were out there. And you know, like I said, that's still going on today. Um, one of the ways that we stepped up right away in our community was to really take our facility and say, you know, how can we best support uh, our local neighbors here? And so uh, the area around our ballpark served as a COVID testing site um, almost as early as April last year. And about two months ago, uh, we continued our test site, but we added a vaccine site. So, you know, it's a great feeling to be here every day and see people coming through to get, you know, what's a life-saving vaccine for many. Um, and to be able to provide that to our community in, in a way that's, you know, easy for them to get to and, and local to their neighborhood. So we've been really proud to be able to step up and, you know, offer our facilities for that. How excited are you to have people back in the seats during, uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, you know, for the hopefully majority of, of this upcoming season? Yeah, I have to say we're very excited. So we started spring training uh, a few weeks ago. So we're getting some early experience at is there. So our spring training is in uh, Jupiter, Florida. And so we have had fans uh, in the stands in a socially distanced way. So, you know, smaller stadium, but it's allowed us to, you know, get some uh, early observations of how, you know, we can operate this much larger venue. Uh, we've had great, you know, partnerships from our um, community partners uh, and also our uh, local political partners in uh, you know, getting the right standards for our ballpark, uh, both in uh, Jupiter, but also here in Miami. So, um, you know, the county has a great staff that uh, looks over all the health and safety protocols. Uh, We're proud to be one of the first facilities that will have the well building certification. Uh, we also have a great partnership uh, that we just announced with Lysol, um, where Lysol will be providing uh, the products that we use in and around the ballpark. Um, and uh, probably one of the coolest things is, uh, you know, we're bringing in drone uh, disinfectant systems. Uh, so at, at night when uh, the fans leave, uh, drones will be spraying the seating areas to just apply that extra level um, of, of safety. So maybe my favorite thing about baseball is the walk-up song. What would be your walk-up song if you were a player and why? Oh, that's a tough one. Well, I actually grew up in Freehold, which is where Bruce Springsteen uh, is from. So Maybe Thunder Road. Thunder Road. That's a good <laughs> nice. one. Nice. Good Great pick. <laughs> Caroline, thank you so much. This has been such an inspiring opportunity to hear more about your professional and personal journey, as well as the Marlins organization and how embedded they've become in the Miami community. We thank you so much for your time. This has been really wonderful to have you. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you, Daniel. It's been an honor to be here. Love connecting with the Stern community. I know we have a lot of Stern alumni here in South Florida, so hope to see all of them out at Marlins games sometime soon, and uh, hope we can connect with anybody that's local down there. Thanks so much, Caroline. Good luck this season. Thank you.